Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Rolling, take one. <laughs> the ghost of Otto is scratching at the door. Is it going to be And welcome to All Through a Lens. This is the podcast about film photography where we discuss a little more than just film photography. I'm Vanya. And I am Eric. On today's show, we're talking to Charlie from Themselves Press. We'll be telling you all about the weird and kind of just fucked up history of police mugshots. And there's a couple of book reviews, including one about Weirdo Yankovic, and a little bit about our friend Aloy Anderson. But first, Vanya, how have you been? I'm doing much better. I've had a rough couple of weeks. You have, yeah. It's not been it's not been very easy for you at all. <laughs> no, it hasn't. Uh, photographically speaking, I have not been in the water because I injured myself. Yeah. Uh, but I have been taking a bit of pictures. I I cut a hole in a piece of wood and made oh, my. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, yes. Okay. Like, well, wait a minute. What? <laughs> yeah. I cut a hole in a piece of wood and made myself a lens board. Cool. I got the Century working. I purchased some 5x7 film. So you're kind of going all in on that then? Yeah, starting starting to to get into the groove of it. I ended up buying a, it's not exactly a tripod, it's a stand. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. It's like a stand for one of the old like studio cameras, right? Basically, yes. Like cast iron uh, legs and... Yes, like a crank wheel, like cast iron wheel. It's amazing. It looks exactly like the one that we saw... In a museum in Kansas. Yes, I remember that. (laughs) Except that this isn't going to be in a museum. It's going to be in my house and I'm going to fucking use it. (laughs) So there's that. I'm crazy. I have these cameras. Um, I got another one because it came with the stand. You wanted to buy the stand on its own, but it came with a free camera. Yes, it did. So I have a Century 1 and a Century 7 now. You guys, I seriously don't know what the hell is wrong with me. I (laughs) am losing my mind. I need to stop because this is intense. You do. (laughs) I mean, at least like I should be into cameras that are a little bit more mobile, but I ended up taking a landscape with the Century 7 in the back of my van on top of my bed, like platform bed. Yeah. So you just open up the back door and you took a picture of whatever was back there. Yes. And it worked. And it was kind of amazing. And I was like, holy shit, I could totally, (laughs) I could totally do this this summer. So I am going to take it on the road because- that's why I have the stupid van to begin with, is to take all my bullshit. So, yeah, that's that. <laughs> the bullshit van. Yes. And a little bit of sad news. I don't know if you guys seen my story, but I lost my oldest pug, Otto. He had a collapsed trachea and had not been doing very well. And um, it was finally time to make the decision to put him down, which was extremely rough all my kids came down and we were all in the room together and it was it was a um it was a family <laughs> <laughs> family thing well as it should be i i know that death is supernatural but it just still kind of seems so foreign and yeah. uh, you know marley's 13 so it was it was you know an intense situation but i think it was really important for all of them to experience because Otto's been in their life. I was actually thinking about it. Micah was 10 when 
we had when we got Otto or when he joined the family and he's a 24 year old man now. Yeah. Uh, Tyler was eight and is 22 and Marley was just born and she's 13. So Otto's been in Marley's life since the very beginning. So yeah, she doesn't remember uh, a day without him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so we lost a part of our family and, you know, he he will be forever missed, of course. He was a wonderful companion. He went camping with us. He went everywhere, everywhere we could take him. Yeah, he was pretty much your adventure dog. He really was. <laughs> it was funny, though, because he had like weird things. Like he did not like piers, wood piers where you could see underneath it, bridges as well. You'd have to like pick them up. I get it. <laughs> Like I said, we would do these like big camping trips with like all of the family. So, mm-hmm. you know, he, he was a part of my my entire family. Everybody was really bummed about it. Mm-hmm. So even your mom cried. I know. <laughs> it's no good when your mom cries. <laughs> well, so sometimes if we went somewhere where he wasn't allowed to go, we'd ask my mom to come and stay at our house. And she loved it because she got to hang out with Otto and they were best buddies. So, yeah, she Aww. was... She was really, really heartbroken about it. It was, it was, it's been, it's been a tough week. I know most of you guys have animals and honestly, I got so many messages. It was overwhelming how many people reached out and said that they were sorry. And it really means a lot. It was so hard because it was just like a mess, (laughs) but (laughs) everybody that reached out, it was so sweet, so kind. Thank you so much. It really made me feel like everybody was just on my side and helping me out. So I really appreciate it. So yeah, that's it. (laughs) Were you able to take any photos of him before he died? I did. I took a few photos. I actually have some film loaded. I still have a few pictures left that I need to shoot. So I will develop that probably on one of the next dev parties coming up. Oh, uh, nice. I have a couple shots of him and with the kids as uh-huh. well. So, yeah. I did take a picture of him with the Century 7 also. Yeah. Um, but he moved, so he looks like a sad clown. It's kind of terrifying, <laughs> but also kind of awesome. <laughs> That's actually my screensaver for my my computer, and I can see, like, <laughs> I can see a little bit of it right now. <laughs> it's really funny. So, yeah, he's... He's a great guy. Yeah. Sorry to make it all sad and intense in the very beginning. Let's let's hear from Eric. Let's let's find well, out how he's been. Well, it's sadness just of a different kind. <laughs> so I guess not really. No. Uh, since we last recorded, I've been to Eastern Washington twice. If you follow me on Instagram, you've been seeing a lot of the photos from that. Both times I was hiking at Drumheller Channels. Now one of those times was making cyanotypes, and we did a a. Um, a what is it called? We did a dev party about that. Mm-hmm. But the second time was sort of a reshoots thing. And we recorded a bonus episode from that. So I guess if, if this were a business, I'd be writing these trips off as business expenses. They're not. So I'm not. So <laughs> I was taking a Drumheller channels, which I've actually gotten a lot of questions about, which is kind of cool. It's a land of like basalt columns and cliffs and and lakes that shouldn't really be there and canyons. It's really one of my favorite places to hike. But my photography from both of these times is is really subpar. And I considered that maybe I'm being hard on myself and I'm not. So I think I'm on a little bit of a down streak and I think I am a little okay, I'm a little bit hard on myself. I'm, 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 I've convinced myself that I cannot shoot four by five at this point. Can't do it. 
I, I know I can. I've done it before. But right now, I, I'm like allergic to four by five, or at least I'm allergic to the good results. I think part of the problem is I had a lot of expectations going into this. You probably remember Megan Carson, right? Of course. The, the tin typist we had her on for an episode in the past. And she did this really wonderful triptych panoramic triptych of a tree you know from the going from left center to right it, it encompassed the whole tree it was it, it mind-blowing it was fucking beautiful and so my idea was like well this can't be that difficult to do because it's just moving the camera a little bit and if you keep track of where the camera is you're good well, I took six of these, and so far I have developed four of them and have discovered that I can fuck up photography in four unique ways. <laughs> and I'm very curious on how the other two will turn out if, and if I'll be able to find two other unique ways of fucking up four by five. I'm assuming I can at this point. So a lot of people do this with half frames. I think that's really cool. I used to do it too, but I really wanted to try it with four by five and I'm getting all of these little mistakes everywhere. And I don't know why I thought it would be easy. I don't get it. I guess it's, I saw how good, or I guess how effortless Megan made it look that I didn't really take into account that it's not. And she was doing it with tintypes. I'm just doing it with regular film. I think you're being a little hard on yourself. I've seen the pictures. They're not that bad. You need to relax. I get it. Bad. I mean, we are definitely yeah. our worst critics when it comes to our work and you are going to see the mistakes that you made, because we all do that. But looking at them and it not being my work, they look great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is, these are awesome. What are you talking about? You know, and I don't know, maybe Megan is like super critical of her own. Maybe she has like a bunch that she hasn't published that we'll never see because she's she's smart enough to not show us the, the, the fuck ups. <laughs> you will, however, be seeing my fuck ups. Nice. All of you. Yay. Look at them. And, and then we'll, we'll talk about maybe what not to do. So- <laughs> I'm going to have to go back and reshoot this, which is interesting because the reason I was going back last weekend was to do reshoots because I fucked up the photos from before, the weekend before. So I think, honestly, I might be making excuses just to go back to this place. Oh, I, I think so. I really love it. I did two different hikes, did about eight miles total, like toting four by five with me the whole way. I don't know. There's just something about this land that it's such a perfect land that photographing it i'm not sure is possible like it's obviously possible but like you get a certain you know like when you're in love and you overlook that person's flaws mm -hmm. like physical flaws especially they're just they're just not there they're the most beautiful person i think that's how i'm feeling about this place oh my gosh you are yeah you're I, always I, gushing about Eastern Washington. You're in love with Eastern Washington. I think we all know that. <laughs> no, I, yeah, okay. That is true. But this place very specifically, I, I can photograph Eastern Washington. I've photographed Eastern Washington for like a decade and I've taken some of my best work there. But this place in particular, I've recently just utterly fallen in love with. And I don't think it looks the way it actually looks. Like, you know what I mean? That doesn't make any sense. Of course not. I know what you're saying. It's like, when you when you go to Yosemite, you see the beauty. You're there. You're immersed sure. in it. If you're in that valley and you're looking around, you're just like, holy shit. And you try to photograph that. And of course, your pictures are going to be beautiful. But it's never, it's never going to be as beautiful as what it feels like to be in the space. So yes, that's where I am. And 
I'm going to head back there and see what I can do. And maybe I'll figure out a better way to, to photograph it or a different emulsion or a different lens or a different whatever. And I'll, I'll try to master this technique and or master it. I'm going to try to at least get a couple of shots that I don't hate, mm-hmm. which I guess is mastering. And so once that happens, we will do a bonus episode for Patreon listeners, for patrons, 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 t- talking about how to do these. If we can figure this out, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Shortly after recording our last main episode, we learned the news that our friend Aloy Anderson had passed away. We interviewed him on episode 9, and he was one of our biggest supporters. He would message both of us sometimes daily. It was a huge shock for us. So last week, we put out the word that we wanted to provide a space for people to leave voice messages as a sort of memorial to Aloy. It was really short notice, and we got a half dozen people calling in about it. So our first caller is... Robert, I got to a Magnifico on Instagram. Um, here he is. I started following Aloy a little before he was on the podcast. I think we both followed the all through a lens hashtag and met each other that way in the Instagram sense of meeting someone. And he was the kind of guy who didn't mind sharing his time with you. The last bit of uh, conversation I had with him on my Instagram chats is about an uh, infrared filter he was reviewing for a YouTube video. And now I feel almost bad taking up any of his time. But you could tell he's the kind of guy who doesn't mind. And it's just real helpful and, and friendly. I'm really sad to hear of his passing. Condolences to everyone and to the people who didn't get a chance to meet him. But at least you can hear his voice, which is really something else. Go back and listen to that episode. It's really good. I love Aloy's voice. I'm going to miss that probably most, I guess. I mean, if, if, if you have to make a list. <laughs> he he was. He was always there for you with time. He just he just was. It, it, he had more time than I'm not even sure how he did, you know? I'm not sure how he had that much time to give. Always so helpful, so kind. And he laughs a lot, too, kind of like me. I have, I have that problem. <laughs> Oops. Uh, the next message is from Nick Gaylord uh, at Count Snackula. So I didn't know Aloy personally, as is probably the case with a lot of people here. I came to know him through your podcast, and he was actually one of the first people that I ever heard you interview. It really stopped me in my tracks. You were talking with him about in-camera cyanotypes, and he posed this question to the effect of... Yeah, and why shouldn't we all just be able to make our own photosensitive materials? And I was like, holy shit, that's an incredibly far-reaching question that just revealed so much about his passion for creative experimentation and thinking about things in really unconventional ways. I love that about him. I've recently tried some of his other unconventional approaches to things, and I kind of fucked him up, but that's okay. You know, the point is, in the moment, I found myself really wishing I could reach out to him and say, man, how'd you pull that off? Yeah, I've, me too. (laughs) Definitely. With the cyanotypes that I've been doing lately, I really could have used his advice on these. Your advice is wonderful, but Alloy gave just 
a very unique advice and encouragement and questions. And it wasn't like he would just give you advice. He would also question you, you know, because he was, while teaching, he was also trying to learn, maybe learning more about the technique, maybe learning more about you or about how you're planning on doing the technique so he could include that in his own process. He was just always teaching and always learning. And that's something that you just, you don't see a lot of. You see one or the other, but having that combination, is just... mm. I watched the memorial for Aloy uh, online and everybody had something to say about how passionate he was about photography. And it's really true. He really was. Yeah. His memorial was, was funny to watch like fun like actual funny his his family are funny people and you can see that whole like all of them kind of they were they were very much like Aloy in that way they were very humorous and funny and full of laughter uh, full of tears it was a sad moment you know but it was something a bit more than that too and that was really nice to see i think it's probably still available online maybe we can put a, a link to that for anybody who wants to catch it okay our our next caller is Ralph Brandy Hi, this is Ralph Brandy. There is no cat on Flickr. I wouldn't have known about Aloy if not for you guys. Hearing you interview him led me to follow him on Instagram, which led me to his YouTube videos. One of his videos that really stuck with me was where he reviewed uh, this short-lived film by Arzimago, the uh, Swiss and Italian company that made The Lab Box. And he he did a whole video about it and really liked it. So I wound up buying a bunch of rolls of it as a result of his his review. So every time I load that film in my camera, I think of him. So literally like three days before he passed away, loaded a roll in a Kiev rangefinder that I wanted to test. Uh, So I was thinking about him and then like three days later saw the post on Instagram uh, from his wife saying that he died. It was just such a shock. The thing that really sticks with me about him was his generosity with his knowledge. Uh, Just a very generous man. And I think as a community, we're really going to miss him. I think that definitely is, I think, why we felt it was important to kind of hear from everybody. Because I think that even though we were just obviously connected through Instagram, he was so generous with his knowledge. I could message Aloy at any time and he would get back to me. It Mm -hmm. was amazing and his youtube videos if you haven't seen them are amazing (laughs) he's the best i love him so much he like he just gets really passionate about stuff and he's so passionate that he's like i feel the need to review this and he would yeah and it wasn't just it's not just photography even it's not just film and photography he reviews a bunch of stuff that you just wouldn't expect him to review and i love that his perspective was unique yeah And I think that's why it was so interesting. Yeah, you get to know uh, a fuller picture of the person who he was through his YouTube uh, channel. It's it's really wonderful. Uh, Next up, we have Harold Sinclair. Hey, this is Harold Sinclair in New York. I am still kind of processing the loss. I, uh, like so many people, had met him on Instagram and YouTube and actually, you know, talked to him a few times. Uh, actually, many times, and found him to be such a kind person. I started looking through his videos later and just realized, you know, he's he was everything that all of us should be. He was inquisitive and interested in many, many different things, and and that's that's just exemplary. It's it's what we should be. I used to be a photographer many years ago, 
professional in New York, but I wanted to get back into it and got back into black and white. I wanted to develop my own film and somehow I stumbled on a Lomochrome Metropolis and I found it really interesting. Saw a few reviews and then I, then I stumbled on Ray Christopher's review of Lomochrome, which is, was hands down the best one ever. And it was so cool that he returned back to do a follow-up review on his his findings. And I kind of credit him for, I mean, I'm a total black and white snob, so I, I never dreamt that I'd ever be developing like a C41. But I kind of credit him for giving me the confidence that, oh yeah, you do it, you know? And, and I did, and it's great. And to the point where I would ask him stuff, you know, online, using vintage cameras, I, I had some very odd frame sizes. So I tried this Lomography uh, digitalizer and I wondered, had he reviewed it? And lo and behold, yeah, sure he had. It was a greatest reviewer. I mean, his YouTube videos, he just got it completely together. His sound, his lighting, the presentation, the editing was just always great. And just so many different topics and so helpful. You know, there's a few gems in there. If you go back, I think like 2016, he did a, a Lumix camera review, but he did a, an animation of the uh, jungle animals. Just brilliant. Really, really funny. So in case the family is listening, just want you to know he was very loved and admired and will be missed. Thank you, Harold. <laughs> he, we had him on when he was talking about the, the Metropolis, right? That was so. kind of, yeah. we were all kind of trying to figure it out together in a, in, in a way. Well, they, I think they sent him some. They got did. Lucky. Oh, and he sent us some. Is that, is that right? I think he sent, yeah, he sent us rolls. And it was kind of the thing where, where we shot it and we're like, okay, I guess this is, we can do this. And then, I don't know, a couple months went by and I got a message from him saying, well, hey, if you do this with this film, it will do this. And I was like, holy shit, you're still working on this. This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he really liked to share his information. He did. And his experiences with it. It. it <laughs> what Harold said was so sweet. <laughs> like, uh. It was. All right, uh, we have a couple more. Yeah, our next is Billy Sanford. Hi, Vanya and Eric. This is Billy Sanford. Sadly, I never got to meet Aloy Anderson in person. I was very glad to be able to exchange comments with him a few times online. Photographically, I enjoyed the work he shared with us, and especially enjoyed his cyanotype and paper negative work. It's always inspiring when some people are doing something that the majority of the community aren't. And I appreciated that he had his channel and articles to share his experiences and processes with us. And he seemed really humble whenever anyone praised his work. I also admired the degree to which he included his family in his work. And maybe we all do that. And some share that work and some don't. And either way is fine. But combining the people I love with this hobby I love is important to me personally. So it's another thing that I especially enjoyed about his and made me think we'd really get along in real life. I was really sorry to hear that he had passed. Yeah, family was a huge thing to him. Not being a, a family man, so to speak. I really appreciated that. He didn't need to include them, but in a lot of his reviews and a lot of his photos, he did. And that exchange, that love was, was present at that memorial as well. Well, our last one is from Dave Mahaley. So here we go. What's up, Dave? Good morning. How you doing, man? Hey, man, I got to tell you, I got to thank you for something. You don't realize you did it, but you helped me with something. <laughs> that was a typical Aloy message. Full of grace, classy. He called me the cheap camera whisperer, and I called him the mad scientist for all his experiments. He had such a 
calming presence. I'll miss our back and forth on YouTube and Instagram. His encouragement, his positivity, his enthusiasm. Such a good dude. True original. As always, keep it real. I have some messages too, some audio messages from Malloy that I need to save somehow. <laughs> I don't yeah. know how. Well, you do know how. We can oh, save yeah, I them. Guess I can it. <laughs> on the recorder. We're oh, doing yeah, it right I have now. a podcast. I know how to do these things. <laughs> I, I have I have some and, and we have some on All Through a Lens. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah, the we we asked him to call in for our Christmas. Yeah, but he would also sometimes instead of just messaging us, uh he would he would just record something and send that or you know, just use the voice messages similar to how we do uh, answering machine messages um actually exactly like that and he would he would do that and he was i think the first person to do that to me and i was like what is happening why is somebody sending me a voice message and i played it and i'm like okay well it is easier than trying to type it all out yeah so we would we would, we would go back I like and forth. It. yeah we would go back and forth with the voice messages and it was just it was um, kind of an, an introvert's way of, of talking on the phone. <laughs> you know, like, no real commitment here. You don't have to answer right away. But you hear the voices, and that's really wonderful. And he had such, oh, my God, such a wonderful voice. He really did. Could you imagine, like, doing a podcast with him? Oh, my gosh. Hmm. I'm not worthy. I would have loved to have do done a, a podcast with Aloy. <laughs> We'd like to thank everyone who left us a message about Aloy. Since it was so short notice, if anyone listening would like to leave a memorial message, we'd be more than happy to play it on our next episode. We know that he meant so much to so many. It would be an honor to hear from him. Eric and I collect books for the podcast, sometimes for research and sometimes for our weird fascination with things. Eric has something really fun to share that he recently picked up. I am going to be doing a review of Black and White and Weird All Over by John Bermuda Schwartz. Now, Bermuda Schwartz, I don't know if anybody out there knows who he is. If if somebody does right now, they are really excited. <laughs> and... Should not be surprised that we're a review or that I am reviewing this book. Uh, this is definitely all me, uh, which should be pretty obvious. Anyway, Bermuda Shorts has been Weird Al Yankovic's drummer since they met on the Dr. Demento show in September of 1980. Now, I know that I've talked to a few of you about Dr. Demento before, so we're probably on the same track. So the three of us, the three people still listening, welcome. <laughs> Two hours of mad music and crazy comedy from out of the archives and off the wall. And so while, while Bermuda is mostly known for that, he was also a photographer. He picked up a Minolta SRT 101 in the early 70s, and he was rolling his own rolls and printing in his, own, in his home darkroom not long after that. He quickly discovered that he just loved documenting everything. So when it became more economical to shoot color, he switched over. There. He left black and white behind. But in 1983, as Weird Al was shooting the video for Ricky, and that's a send-up of uh, Tony Basil's Hey Mickey. It's a video. You had to have seen it. Of I'm, course. Everybody's seen this. Hey, Ricky! So he thought black and white would be a better choice to capture the shoot, and he really wasn't wrong. But he did this for a number of videos and did nothing with the photo. There was not really much you could, you could do with photos at that point. He wasn't going to make a book, so he just kind of 
put them in, if you just sort of put them away. This book, it's a 200-page hardback, and it's made up of a couple of hundred of these photos from 1983 to 1986, and they cover Al's first album through his fourth, Polka Party, and that's the one that if, remember, didn't VH1 do Behind the Music? I do remember that. Okay. <laughs> they did one on Weird Al. And we are like every- really aging ourselves, right? Oh, we are. <laughs> Well, you know, like on every behind the music, there's like a like a second chapter where things get real dark. <laughs> yeah, for Motley Crue, it was like the car accident and just being Motley Crue in the '90s. But for for Weird Al, it was his fourth album didn't sell very well. Polka Party was a commercial disappointment. I think one thing that is really kind of neat here, and I think a lot of people don't know what to do with their photos. He kind of sat on them. He let them marinate for a while. I think it was a good idea. Yeah. I think sometimes documenting things might not seem so interesting at the moment, but you let 20, 30 years go by and boom, <laughs> things are interesting again. Sure. He did a few things here or there with them. Like they'd put them in like uh, liner notes or there was like a, a like a box set book. And he, so like a few of them were in there. Mm-hmm. But this is 200 pages of these. And so these photos are pretty candid. Sometimes Al and the folks on the shoot, they kind of mug for the camera because it's you know, they're comedians. That's, of course. You're, you're seeing funny things. Um, and sometimes Schwartz is able to, to capture the moments in between the shots, kind of like the little real life moments, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the most part, yeah, the, the photos were all taken during the video shoots for Ricky, I Love Rocky Road, Eat It, Living with a Hernia. I feel bad! And then a few different recording sessions here. There. Living with a Hernia is such a good song. Oh my God, these <laughs> names though. <laughs> So yeah, this book is probably not for somebody who isn't already a Weird Al fan. And I've been one since 1983, 1984. I remember when In 3D came out. I remember Eat It coming out. Uh, And so that puts it in the running with Duran Duran as the musical group that I've constantly listened to the longest. (laughs) So Duran Duran was probably 83, maybe 84, and Weird Al was right in there too. Wow. So when you were getting into Weird Al and Duran Duran, I was literally being born. (laughs) Fair enough. So it's, but you know, it's not like these photos aren't without some sort of artistic or at least interesting merit. Uh, most importantly, for a Weird Al book, they are funny. Schwartz provides a little insight into the shooting as well as into the videos and the antics you know, behind what he photographed. And so, For example, did you know that the ice cream in the I Love Rocky Road video was actually mashed potatoes with food coloring? Ooh, delicious. Delicious. So this book can be picked up pretty much anywhere. You don't have to buy it from some whatever. Just go to your local bookstore, order it. And if they're a good local bookstore, they'll have it on the shelf. (laughs) Last episode, we interviewed Denise Grays, who had just published a zine through Themselves Press. That zine, Distro and Press, is run by Charlie Chucks Candice Camigula, or at Casual Science on Instagram. Since they're into film photography, zines, arts, and cats, it just seems natural that we'd give them a call. Hey! Hello! Thanks for having me. Oh, no problem. Thanks for being on. Oh, man. How have you been? Whoa, not too bad. I don't (laughs) even really know how to answer that question anymore. How about you guys? (laughs) Kind of the same. Uh, Okay, good. You feel me? Yeah. 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 I think we're all on the same level there. (laughs) Yeah, it's like how many more times can you say like, getting by, hanging in there, doing (laughs) art, like, Okay, well, first, thank you for 
agreeing to come on. We really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Oh, of course. So before we get started, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, photographically speaking, or just in general. I do mainly what I call casual sciences, which you guys, follow you guys both on Instagram. We've talked a few times a little bit. That's the way I kind of tried to define the photography before I really knew what it was called. Like what I, what got me really excited about photography, and I've been doing it for a long time. Like I was probably about 13 or 14 when I decided to be a photographer. You know what I mean? I was just like, this is, this is for me. This is what I need to do. And what I found I was seeking out were a lot of these naturally occurring surrealism. And so I tried to figure out a way to define that because I didn't really know what this type of photography was called, like a little more silent and a little more um, mysterious, I think. Sure. So I started to call them casual sciences because everything at its root kind of is science but like not it's not always so serious right it's like physics is there chemistry is there but like what can also be science is just two banal themes coming together unexpectedly and you just happen to be there at the right time and place to witnesses and it's so fucking awesome that like you cannot (laughs) help but get lost in it and i do and i know you guys as photographers feel me like that's what photography is about it's the moment it's not picture right (laughs) it it is (laughs) so I started hunting those down, and then I realized I needed to figure out a way to define them, start calling them casual sciences. It's evolved a little more since then. It used to be a little more, a bit more abstract, but now I do tend to shoot more uh, like wider scenes of surreal, but real places. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so your photography, are you shooting mostly 35 millimeter? Yes, totally. Yeah, I okay. shoot 35. I just like it. It's easy and simple. My go-to is Canon A1. I nice. grew up with that camera. And you call your steak sauce, right? Yeah. <laughs> I fucking love steak sauce. I laughed so hard when I heard that. <laughs> And I also love my Nikon AF35 LF. That camera is amazing. Mm. And I also like, you know, have a pocket on this pen that I shoot. I just like 35 because it's easy. There's an in-camera meter. Uh, my A1 and A1s especially, they're hardy. I just throw them in my backpack and beat them up and they live to see another day and I can keep shooting with them <laughs> like the first day I got it. So is, is yeah. most of your work up on casual science? No, actually. Actually, have an overwhelming amount of back work mm. that weighs so hard on me. Part of what I discovered about my own photography is that I tend to like to share my work more in groups. Um, I don't make a single standalone shot. It's usually very explorative. It could even be like a walking somewhere or an intentional adventure. But a lot of it tends to, when you group several images together from a day, like tell a better story than the standalone images. And so because of that, I have several different stories yeah. um, that are like not really finished or curated right. And I just don't know yet how best to share them. But that's also why I started making zines. One of my favorite series of photos is Places I've Slept, which were not my own. What gave you this idea? And do you think this is an ongoing series? One of my favorite things about traveling is the places you end up staying. They can vary so much. They could be like, you know, like a shitty room in somebody's place. It could be like a cabin in the woods. It could be like a mattress to some guy's place, which one of those pictures was. It could could be uh, like a train from Berlin to Romania, which another one of those pictures was. And so when I was planning this trip, which was like um, like a little bit of a Euro tour in 2013, 
but I had a lot of stays planned. So I knew that I wanted to make a point to like take some self portraiture while I was in these places. And what is so fun about them too, is like when you stay in these places for temporary times, you kind of get to like be a different person for a little bit. You can get, you can be like bougie Istanbul princess in this like beautiful apartment, or you can be like, I don't know, like a rugged outdoors person staying in this cabin in the middle of nowhere. And it's, just, <laughs> and it's kind of exciting. And that also transforms based on the people you're with, the people who are outside the place you're with. Um, being alone, just like what happened that day. So I did intentionally plan this. I have not done it since. I mean, not intentionally. Like I have done a few, you know, just if I've got time somewhere, I will do it. But not. I haven't kept up with it. I really should, though. I kind of have this feeling sometimes. And I wonder how you guys actually feel about this. Mm -hmm. Like if you do a project that takes place over, you know, like a, a set amount of time or like a, like a set duration of, you know, like for an example for this, this Euro trip, um, and you want to pick it up somewhere else. I kind of you feel find I feel weird about that because I feel like maybe I finished the project already, and it is kind of strange to keep dragging it amongst different like explorations or periods of my life. Do you guys have any feelings about that? Is that why that's like a weird question? No, because I mean I you kind know? of do that when I shoot in the summers. I guess. Yeah. It's there's a beginning and end to the trip. I take a, a month long trip pretty much every oh. summer. And so there's a beginning and end to it. And then that's it. Whatever yeah, yeah. I shoot in there is is of that. And then next year is the next one. And next year is the one after that. And so no, my projects, they there is a definite ending that I know of going uh -huh. into the project. I guess I have some like film projects, shooting like old emulsions and stuff that are just sort mm -hmm. of ongoing. Right. And they I'm really like I was working on one today, just like developing the, some some images from it. Not knowing when it ends, it kind of mm -hmm. bothers me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting yep. like the heebie jeebies <laughs> over it. Like, how can this go yeah. on? No, I kind of feel that about, like, my casual science thing. Like, I just keep fucking making more work. And, like, I don't look at the work. And I'm like, what am I fucking doing? It's kind of nice to have an ending. And yeah. I'm also like, is it rude to the project to, yeah, again, to stretch it out? Be like, well, just let it, let it end. Let well, it have its time. Project don't care. <laughs> <laughs> okay facts okay <laughs> I, I honest so i'm the opposite i kind of feel like it's always open-ended maybe because i don't i'm like more free-flowing and i don't have any plans and at the end of the day i think it's like my project ends when i die <laughs> yeah all right yeah. the project ends with me exactly like i think it's just ongoing forever i i guess i am just adapting to my environment by like becoming the environment becoming that character but i never really think about it when i'm doing it so mm -hmm. that's and also like to in a weird way I like to hear what people think of my work because of that reason sure you saw something that i did not know how to define but was there all along yes. and that's cool and hell yeah maybe i will make some more <laughs> I like that. Okay, so let's talk about themselves press. Uh, a zine publisher is sort of a unique job, especially in this time when things are mostly on screen. So can you tell us about what you do? I started this for a bunch of different reasons. One one of the reasons actually is because everything is on screen. It is so frustrating to me. It's like I'm... We put work online and then it, it's literally fleeting. People enjoy a thumbnail of it for one second and nobody ever thinks about it again. It's super sad. And then there are still like galleries and stuff out there, but I don't know. I'm an introvert. I just get exhausted going outside. So I'm like, what is a way that we can continue to 
share work with people, but still have it be like on their own schedule, right? But still be a little bit more than a thumbnail, just like a little bit more tangible image. So I was like, let's make some zines. But why I started Themselves Press specifically is actually uh, kind of an elongated journey. So I making zines for a few years. And once I started to do it, uh, I realized how not only expensive it was, but super confusing. It's like, I didn't really know what I was doing as far as designing a book, putting pages together, trying to get them to print accordingly. Margins, bleeds, all this stuff is just over my head. There wasn't a lot of clear info online. And every print shop either had a different answer or they didn't really know what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. Or there were a lot of times where they asked me to do something and I would send it to them. And they were like, oh, no, actually do this. And then I have to like redo this whole thing. And meanwhile, I'm like, I'm like working not with real programs. I'm doing this page by page. So it's yeah. crazy. And so, so much of this happened, but I was just like, you know, like, fuck this. I'm going to figure this out. You guys aren't going to win. So I ended up doing a lot of practice and research <laughs> trying to figure this out to end up teaching with these print shops needed to know to help me. It was exhausting. But then I realized I had actually amassed a crazy amount of knowledge about this. So I helped a lot of friends, excuse me, that had questions about their own zines. So I just like helped them with the design specs and all the stuff that, you know, like the little stuff that there aren't really answers for anywhere. And that was going really well. And I was super excited to see my friends do this kind of stuff until I eventually invested in a big old printer. Mm -hmm. I got a Ricoh PC 600 so I could print my own zines. Then I kind of realized like I had not only all this knowledge that was really helpful to people, I also now had an equipment equipment to actually do this kind of stuff for people and i'm not like i'm not printing my own zines like every month that's crazy that is a crazy amount of fucking work (laughs) that's when themselves press was born i was like i have to share this knowledge and resource with the world so i put it out there you guys i have (laughs) tips and hacks let me know if you want them check it out if you want me to print for you too i got it sliding scale pay what you can and it's been awesome ever since and then i eventually started to publish works from like artists that i know and think are awesome like denise what zines are you familiar with before you started doing your own and printing your own that is a good question because it is mostly my friend stuff Mm -hmm. so it's like i do know that the zines that I make are like a far cry from like the Riot Girl OG fan zines that kind of laid down the groundwork for self-publishing before that mm-hmm. and respect. But my, my zines are so much different. Yeah. They're literally art zines. They don't like talk about feminism and sexism and um, punk bands and stuff. But I do try to channel that kind of like independent bad bitch, do it yourself, like do it for the community energy when I do that. Mm-hmm. There are some friends in high school that did make some fan zines, but a lot of what inspired me are my friends' art scenes. Yeah. So just a lot of my favorite photographers too are my friends. Like I'm mostly just inspired by seeing people I know create amazing shit. It's I mean the historical great are cool, but that's just that moves me so much more. Isn't that wonderful? It is. It is wonderful. It's so much better than looking at like one of the masters or whatever. Yeah, untouchables. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, not only is it more relatable, but. It's just so so much more genuine because yeah. they know they meant it. They're not just like, I'm a photographer. This is my book. Okay, so with each zine, you include a lot of bonus stuff. Yeah. Uh, so do we. We like to do stuff like that. I think it's just fun to have bonus anything. Any extras are awesome. So what's the idea behind that for you? 
honestly, like at the root of it, I just, I fucking hate capitalism. So I do my best to try to make up for things like taxes and shipping by like, here's all this free stuff. I hope you love this. And even if you don't, you're like, yes, I got my money's worth. That's cool. <laughs> so that is a big part of it. I also like to make like weird business cards. Like I kind of don't believe in business cards because they're, they just, they're just trash. Like they spend money on them and people throw them away. So I tend to try to make like weird ones. So my current one is like a, a ruler, my themselves <laughs> Press ruler, I which I also uh, doubles as a bookmark, mm-hmm. and love. and my one before that was a comb. I don't know. I just a thought comb? it was funny. Really? Yeah, no. it was my business comb. Oh yeah. man, I missed the I, comb. <laughs> yeah, this was a few years ago. It's like oh, I guess, I guess that so like they, they die out. But I should make like a business hair tie because right now I'm using a pencil. Care <laughs> for it? Yeah, absolutely. You can make a business pencil. Oh my gosh, a like a, a or a banana clip. <laughs> oh <laughs> shit! Okay. You gotta do that. You gotta do that. And yeah, it's fun. Yeah, and people like open their package and they have like, and they're like, this is crazy. I'm never gonna forget this person. And it's hilarious. Well, when I get a zine from somebody and there's nothing else in it other than just the zine, not even a note. I always feel a little like, what's going on here? Dude, I know what you mean too. And it's also like, it's weird to expect it, but it does feel cold. I think it comes with experience too. Once you start like trading and selling zines, you start to see how other people, you know, like if you buy a record somewhere, you know, you get like extra stuff or a little poster or whatever. It's like all these little extra things. It makes you excited to get mail. And then you start doing that to other people. Like, okay, like I'm going to get them excited because I'm going to put a bunch of crazy random shit in this this envelope (laughs) you know that's a great point that is from experience maybe they're not cold maybe they are just inexperienced maybe (laughs) maybe yeah we always try to recommend people (laughs) (laughs) love it you have a patreon yeah that is really impressive and actually people have been talking quite a bit about this no way what on my feed yeah absolutely Get Absolutely. Yeah. For I was what like, wait, what? This no, is really rad. It's really interesting. It's it's a really good idea. Really? Yeah. Shit. Thank you. So, oh my god. I, tell us about it. I'm pretty excited about it, but I I did not know it was gonna be doing so well. And I'm so grateful to everyone who's joined this community. I'm just so flattered. So part of it goes into like why I started themselves press, you know, like I wanted to be a resource and Patreon is a really cool way to like create a direct connection to people. I mean, like Instagram is that way too, but like people join your community and they're just like, all right, I feel comfortable, like uh, messaging you, asking you questions. And I also put it out there. They're like, that's what this is for. So please do. So that's been a really cool part of that. And I also just like, really like to send make art and send people art and like, excite people with that stuff so that's kind of an excuse to do so it helps get the art out there so i can release a zine every month right for like a different artist but this is a cool way to like know that that artist is going to get seen these are people that i know that are interested in like finding out about like new unique artists <laughs> and i can make my collaborators comfortable and tell them it's like don't worry your zines are going to be fire we'll make 50 copies 10 are for you 20 are already sold to the patrons and then 20 will go up to like anyone who wants them and they're just like that is so awesome to know that i feel i have like free fans and then all almost like i don't know i say almost all, but like so many of these people respond by sharing their instagram stories of like these new publications that they receive and the new artists they find out and they do seem genuinely excited about it they do and so that excitement 
bounces back at me. Like I'm definitely like a sponge. Like if you're if y'all are excited, I'm excited. So <laughs> <laughs> the core of my uh, Patreon, helping you make zines, sending you lots of zines, bouncing off your excitement. Perfect. That's- awesome. Well, I guess that we blew through that. We blew through that. Yes, uh, yes, we did. Thank you guys for. <laughs> Being so accommodating and oh. working with my nervous blabbering. Um, I, you guys made me feel really comfortable even well, though I didn't you. shut up. This is unusual for me. <laughs> well, it really helps when the person we're interviewing talks a lot. It makes their job yeah. a lot easier. Oh, right. <laughs> I hope I give you a lot to work with. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you guys so much. Thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Likewise. Awesome. All right. Uh, be in touch soon. So nice to meet cool. you. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is yeah, so glad to see some faces. This is lovely. <laughs> All right, keep in touch. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll okay. Talk soon. Okay. All right. Bye. 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 Who doesn't love a good celebrity mugshot? Have you seen Johnny Cash's? How about Frank Sinatra's? Some even have obvious historical importance, like Martin Luther King or Lenny Bruce. There are some books, websites, scenes, and posters chock full of them. So do you have a favorite celebrity mugshot? Absolutely, Jane Fonda. Oh, that's one with the, like, her fist in the air. Fuck yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that one's, like, the ultimate. I love that one so much. Absolutely. I'm surprised they let her do that. With Jane Fonda. It is Jane Fonda. God, she's just like amazing. She's a goddess. I love her. <laughs> Speaking of goddess, David Bowie's 1976. Oh, yeah. That was the thin white Duke phase. Oh, he looks gosh. he looks not great. but No, those eyes, though. Piercing eyes. Very true. Ugh. Love, 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 love. Also, another, and this is kind of a collection of mugshots. There's a book out called Underworld, and it's mugshots from the Roaring Twenties. And this is actually uh, mugshots from Australia. Yeah, yeah. Those ones, are they still at the museum? Yeah, I'm not sure if they're still at the museum, but there's a lot of them online at the museum's website, which we have a link. Okay. We'll have a link in the show notes for that. Yeah, you guys have to check these out. They're incredible, I promise you. You will not regret looking at these. They are phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, these are not just a cop pushing a button. No, these are. No, these are. They're works art. of art. Yeah, they really are. <laughs> they really so are. Amazing. We'll do a whole Instagram post on just those. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, how about you? What What are your What are some of your favorite mugshots? Well, if we're gonna go old school, I'm gonna have to say Emma Goldman. Okay. Her nice. she she looks like. She does not take shit from anybody. No, I would not fuck with her. <laughs> no. And of course, you know, like we said in the intro, Johnny Cash and Frank Sinatra, they're, yeah. they're just of a piece. Now, there is a Johnny Cash one that he had taken, I think, at, at San Quentin when he mm. was there, like, you're know, doing the show. And it's it's a fake, you know, it's a f- real mugshot, but it's a fake situation. And it's not as good. Mm-hmm. This one is is the one I think he got arrested for picking flowers. That's that's the story. And uh, that's that one. It's it's quite, but my favorite mugshot, and I guess it doesn't really even technically count as a mugshot, is the one of Lewis Powell or Lewis Payne, depending on which alias he was going by. He was one of the members of the assassination crew, I guess, conspiracy against Abraham Lincoln and members of state. I think he's the one who went after Secretary of State Seward. This was, do you see it? Isn't this? Yeah. Oh my God. What the hell? So sexy. <laughs> Sorry, 1865. you 
<laughs> oh my god! Now he was yeah. eventually hanged, and there, there's photos of that as well. Such a pretty face. But my god, what a shame. <laughs> Background behind it is the iron of, of a what they called the monitors. They were Union warships. He was placed on one of those while um, awaiting trial. Yeah, it looks like you can see his hands are shackled. Yes. But he seems very calm and kind of peaceful looking off into the distance. Yeah, I think he kind of knew his, his number was up. There wasn't any getting yeah. out of this. No, definitely not. So we are going to be taking a look at mugshots. If you guys haven't figured that out. All right, so mugshots are a small peek into a, a world most of us will never really know. And yet there's something intimately familiar with them. After all, they are photography. They are portraits. The reason that they exist is obvious. It's because they can. Once we had the technology, we used it. But while mugshots are often pretty hilarious and poignant, there's a history to them that's tied not only to wacky criminology, but also to our biases. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. First, let's talk about how mugshots all began. It would be tempting to say that before the invention of photography, there was some sort of rudimentary form of mugshots. We might even want to claim that wanted posters from the Wild West and runaway slave notices were proto-mugshots. But they weren't. Both existed before photography. Wanted posters eventually used photography, while runaway slave notices never used it at all, and slave people were generally not photographed. In truth, mugshots grew out of the portrait industry. Both were essentially identical, front-facing, no expression, and photographed from the shoulders up. The stereotypical side-facing mugshot came later, and we'll get to that. Paintings, even sketches, were known to be inaccurate and time-consuming to make. It was only the invention of the camera and photography that gave people the assurance that what they saw on the print was the same thing they saw in real life. The first photographs of criminals used by police probably happened in France in 1841. Belgium soon followed in the mid-1840s. The idea migrated to England before the decade was out. New York soon latched on, taking it a step further. The public could filter in, look around the gallery, and then select the known criminal who might have done them dirty. Acting on this information, the police could put a name and a face to the crime. Following the assassination of Abraham Lincoln in 1865, photographer Alexander Gardner photographed the conspirators thought to be behind the crime. He produced atmospheric, almost romantic portraits of Samuel Arnold, George Azeroth, David Harold, Michael O'Loughlin, and Edmund Spengler. His shots of Lewis Powell still stand as one of the most haunting portraits ever made. <laughs> it really does. There's actually, I think, four of them. One of them, he's even moving in it, so it's a bit Ooh. of a blur. Gardner photographed most of the prisoners from the front as well as in profile, except for Powell slash Payne. He don't know if he would just not turn the one way or what was going on. Anyway... They were all in shackles and aboard the U.S. Navy monitors Montauk and Saugus, where they were held awaiting trial. These photographs were widely reproduced and displayed, made into etchings and printed in newspapers all over the world. Though many police departments were already using and collecting mugshots, Gardner might have started a trend. Through the 1870s, more and more police departments adopted the practice of photographing those arrested for crimes, regardless of their eventual guilt. If the arrestee was declared innocent in the courts or simply let go, their photograph was still on file. The guilty, especially the worst offenders, however, had their photographs displayed in what came to be known as rogues galleries. New York City started theirs in 1857 with the stipulation that there must be positive proof that a man or woman, girl or boy, whose likeness is added to the rogues gallery of the detective police is an incorrigible offender. These rogues galleries were literally photo albums, and the most famous among them was curated by Thomas Burns, head detective of the New York City Police Department. 
Parliament. In 1886, he published Professional Criminals of America, a huge volume containing over 200 frontal portraits of the hardest criminals. Some of the photos were accompanied by long descriptions of their features and crimes. Others simply listed their names and offenses. For example, the entry for Sophie Lyons stated simply, pickpocket and blackmailer under her smiling visage. Burns' use of his published rogues gallery was a turn in the use of photography and mugshots. Before, victims often came to the police to see if the person who harmed them had been photographed. Now Burns was turning over his collection to the general public, completely without context. According to Burns, the public was expected to familiarize themselves with these criminal likenesses. While the photographs of burglars, forgers, sneak thieves, and robbers of lesser degree are kept in police albums, many offenders are still able to operate successfully. But with their likenesses within reach of all, their vocation would soon become risky and unprofitable. As photography became simpler and more accessible, police departments' collections of mugshots grew. The criminals might have served their time and moved on, but the photographs remained forever in rogues' gallery. This gallery is also changing. Albums soon gave way to file cabinets, which soon gave way to entire rooms filled with photos. Police departments understood that managing thousands of mugshots was a daunting task, but apart from the date photographed, there wasn't much they could do to organize such collections. Fortunately for them, as photography was growing in popularity and ease of use, so was the field of criminology. At this point in history, the study of crime was based mostly on tradition. Punishment could act as a deterrent, and more swift, the better. Other schools of thought were creeping in. During the last decade of the 19th century, ideas such as phrenology and physiognomy were coming into fashion. Phrenology theorized that the brain would physically display evidence of behavior, also that the skull changed its shape to make room for these physical displays. For instance, a wide ear access meant that the owner of the brain was destructive. If the back of the head was narrow, they were without any conscience whatsoever. That's awful. <laughs> It's, yes, it, that led to some pretty bad things. <laughs> yes, it did. While the scientific community saw phrenology as a pseudoscience akin to astrology, many police departments and criminologists did not. The same was true with phrenology's bodily extension, physiology. These pseudosciences were folded into both criminology and the attempts to understand human evolution. These ideas led to the emphasis on the physical characteristics of the body and how they could be studied to determine which types of bodies were most likely to be owned by criminals. Along with these ideas, a new philosophy of criminology was coming into play. Led by Cesare Lombroso, this idea merged into something known as the born criminal, someone essentially without free will who was predestined to crime. There was, he insisted, a criminal type, and that type could be seen and photographed by bodily features. When applied, the prison sentences were based not on the crime itself, but on what type of criminal your body said you were. Many criminals were given indefinite sentences. It should come as little surprise that these bodily signs of criminality were based on a heaping helping of bias and prejudice. Born criminals were usually foreigners, black men, poor and uneducated people, while those least likely to crime were intelligent and purebred and anomaly-free. Now. What does all this have to do with photography? Obviously, all of these features, the bodily anomalies in particular, could be, and were, photographed extensively. Lombroso employed a number of tools to measure these features, from phonographs and tape measures, to electric pens for handwriting analysis, and cameras. For each offender, Lombroso made note of a wild array of anomalies, photographing as many as he could. While mugshots were used to identify the criminal, Lombroso used photography to study and interpret the criminal and non-criminal for that matter. Lombroso insisted that his ideas were taken from biology and evolution. 
However, it was clear that they mostly represented his views on gender, race, and class, which he twisted into something biological sounding. There was probably nobody more suited to build upon Lombroso's work than the famed eugenicist Francis Galton. Galton was determined to find common physical links between criminals convicted of similar crimes. To sort this out, he used mugshots. It wasn't enough for Galton to simply compare the shots. He did something so wondrously stupid that it defies explanation. Galton used a composite image. This was a photograph made up of several photographs. In his case, he took a half dozen negatives of mugshots, resized them so that the basic outlines matched up, and then exposed these negatives to print paper. This produced a mostly blurry image. Putting six faces one over the other is going to do that. But not all of that was blurry, and that was Galton's point. The non-blurry parts were the features common to all similar offenders, and Galton saw a lot of non-blurry parts. He says... There are so many traits in common in all faces that the composite picture when made from many components is far from being a blur. It has altogether the look of an ideal composition. It did not. It looked like a blurry mess. <laughs> being a eugenicist, Galton's composite image idea wasn't limited to crime solving. He applied it to everybody and everything, including horses. His ideal human, the image he measured every face against, was Alexander the Great. His image was taken from a coin. He viewed Mr. A.T. Great as the apex of humankind. Features not there in old Alexander were to be eliminated through selective breeding. Yes, he was a eugenicist. Through the use of composite images, Galton could construct the perfect person as well as the ideal of other breeds of humans, such as the typical consumptive, typical lunatic, the typical Jew, African, etc., etc., and it's all just pretty gross stuff. While Lombroso and a few others used Galton's composite image in their own publications, fortunately, most police departments saw it for the ridiculous pile it was. Police departments were trying to figure out what to do with all of these mugshots. If only there were a way to classify and organize these photos without the introductions of some pretty wacky bullshit. <laughs> Enter Alphonse Bertillon. You might remember him from the Sherlock Holmes story, Hound of Baskervilles, or maybe Harlan Ellison's Repent Harlequin. Bertillon is credited with inventing the mugshot, which, of course, he actually didn't do. What he did was standardize it. Looking to the past, and specifically to the Lincoln assassination portraits by Alexander Gardner, Bertillion insisted that all prisoners be photographed from the front and in profile. He was also good at organizing stuff. Really good. He saw the need to access photos of similar-looking people in a short amount of time. For instance, if someone was pickpocketed and got a good look at the fellow doing the picking, all the police could do was poke around the rogues gallery for someone who had a similar-looking face. It was a dumb and laborious task. But when Bertillon applied his organizational skills to the Paris Police Department in the late 1800s, he looked on the criminal as a whole, not just as a portrait. He devised 11 different measurements to accompany a physical description. Along with the typical height and weight, he measured the outer arms, the trunk, the feet, specifically the left foot for some reason, the fingers, the ears, and when it came to the face, there was absolutely nothing he didn't measure. Huge posters displaying close-up photos of these features were sent to police departments. Each feature was given a number. In this way, the body could be classified and divided into a slew of different categories, down to the eye color and ear length. While he might have gone a bit overboard, at least he didn't read into these features like our hazy friend Lombroso. He was no eugenicist like Galton. He was simply a guy good at his job, focusing on the bodily details without reading some biased meaning into them. His methods were adopted before the close of the century, but were phased out when fingerprinting became a thing. 
Incidentally, he also plays a role in fingerprint classification. The basics of his 16-point ridge characteristic identification system are still being used today. Photography allowed loved ones, friends, and family to look upon a portrait and see a true-to-life representation of their loved one. Following tragedy and war, photos are often all that remained of those we loved. They could spark and keep alive memories from when they were with us. Initially, portraits were all we had. The slowness of shutters and film speed made action shots nearly impossible. The portrait was the standard way for keeping that love and those memories from fading. The mugshot, which is also a portrait, took that style of photography away from the studio and the family and gave it to the state. To those who knew and loved the person photographed in the portrait, the image was intimate and personal, almost a private solitude between the photographed and the viewer. In the hands of the police, that portrait was turned into a subject without emotion. It reduced the features to Bertillian numbers, the body to a mere representation. In some cases, like Galton and Lombroso, even the innocent features could be construed as naturally evil. The expensive camera, with the brass lenses and professional photographer, were also exchanged for a rudimentary police box camera and a cop who knew how to press a button. The portrait studio was now the police station or prison, and that camera essentially became the first step in the punishment process. Having your portrait taken in a studio was largely a middle class and upper class privilege. Mugshots were that perverted reflection for the lower classes and minorities. The proper portrait insisted that all was perfect in the upper class. The mugshot reinforced the idea that poor people and minorities were, as Lombroso put it, born criminals. As too often, mugshots were the only photo of the accused. If these mugshots were simply representations of guilty prisoners and then discarded upon their release, that'd be one thing. But they were taken of anyone arrested, regardless of guilt or innocence. In fact, the mugshot has now come to symbolize one's guilt. This practice of photographing and eventually fingerprinting the innocent eventually led to the acceptance of the ever-widening surveillance measures. And while we don't specifically apply phrenology or eugenics to policing, our biases still remain. In fact, they are reinforced by how we view and are shown mugshots. For example, if the press or cable news show wants to cast a suspect as innocent, they use a family portrait or a photo of them playing sports a photo of happier times. If they wish the suspect to appear already guilty, they'll use a mugshot. Mugshots reinforce our biases, often depicting minorities and poor people one way and the majority and wealthy in another. In the case of Black Americans in the decades of Jim Crow, the mugshot was how many white people were introduced to Black people. It informed and reinforced the view to such an extent that when W.E.B. Du Bois created a photo album of middle-class Black people in 1900, it caused a scandalous stir for challenging these biases. So in the end, the existence of the mugshot isn't really the problem. The problem lies in us, in our society and culture, in how we are shown and how we interpret the photograph. This is something that happens both by tradition and unconscious bias. When soaking in the goodness of photography's history, stuff that we love, the glass plates, the landscapes, the tintypes, the FSA photographers, and even those modernists, it's important to remember that the mugshot was there pretty much the entire time. And for many, it was the only photograph ever taken of them. For every Ansel Adams, William Eggleston, and Evelyn Cameron, there were countless police stations and prisons burning through plates and film, capturing and propagandizing the lower classes. For every quaint photo gallery or family album, there were rogues galleries and a world of newspapers delivering mugshots to the masses. Perhaps a good way to check our own private biases and prejudices is to look at mugshots, to experience and understand our natural reactions to them. Individually, we may not be able to change our society's biases, but by examining our own through the use of mugshots, it's really not a bad place to start. 
of the wonderful things about doing a podcast where we review zines is reviewing zines. We just love zines. And so this time around, I think you have a book for us, though, don't you, Vanya? Yes, I have Wet Plate Collodion Photographs by Paul Barden. It's a 45-page book made with blurb. Uh, so Paul starts off with the geariest gear porn of all time, <laughs> at least for me, you guys. No, it is, it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you have it too, don't I you? Do, I do, yeah. Yeah, so we've got the Petzvolls and the, a variety of early 1900 lenses. Uh, you know, the first couple pages, he like introduces what wet plate is and his experience with it. He's honest and forthcoming with the challenges, and I really appreciate that. I think that it is very nice when people are like, it's easy, you can do it, because I do that too, because I'm trying to encourage people <laughs> to oh, do sure. things. But also, too, there's challenges. And with this, there are definitely challenges. It's not, it's not the easiest thing. <laughs> <laughs> Once you get to the pictures, each right-hand page has a photograph. And on the left, he has an explanation of you know what the print, what camera he used, the date, and if it was a glass negative or an aluminum plate, and a little description of the photograph. It's exactly my goal for <laughs> taking notes, honestly. It's just perfect. Sometimes he has like a little story, like, you know, subject matter of the day, um, or sometimes he adds the exposure time, how long it was. It's a really nice peek in, you know, behind with his methods, basically. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's always interesting to me as a photographer looking at somebody else's work. So Paul's photos are stunning. They carefully place subjects. They just pull at my heartstrings. There's mm -hmm. something so beautiful about the light in these, and I am sure it has a lot to do with the 150-year-old lenses, <laughs> as well as his patience. Let me tell you, I'm a sucker for men shooting still life, especially flowers, so you got me there. <laughs> it's, that is true. You yes. do. <laughs> this is a wonderful collection of photographs, and it was gifted to me by my friend Jordan yes. at Raccoon Gaze on Instagram. Yes, thank you. It was a very thoughtful gift and definitely worth a look. You can find it on Blurb. It is a little bit pricey for the hardback, but there is a PDF version for $10, so definitely worth a look. You can also see some of his stuff. He has a link from his blurb to his Flickr, and you can see a bunch of his photos there. So really he's on, he's on Flickr. Yes. Nice. There are very few of us there who are worth looking at, and <laughs> I'm very glad that, that someone is there. Yes, me too. So now, yes. done with the book, let's get back into the zine time. Oh, thank God we're back into zines. We have <laughs> the second issue of Bulldoze Future by Ryan Burkbile. Mm. Now, Vanya reviewed Ryan's first issue a couple months ago, a few months ago, and now it's my turn to take on issue two. The Bulldoze Future is an exploration of the redevelopment zones in Korea. Now, these are neighborhoods that are abandoned and left to sort of rot, I guess, until bulldozers come in and take care of whatever was left behind. And Ryan's camera captures that short moment. Uh, looking at the zine, I have to agree with what he says in the intro. It's, it is pretty unbelievable what people leave behind. Here we find walking canes. Is that a walking canes that we're calling them? Canes? Canes? Canes for walking? Used in walking. Canes that people use in walking. Walking sticks? Walking sticks, but they're canes, not sticks. <laughs> it's not Gandalf. <laughs> I mean, I, if I needed a walking stick, I would definitely have a Gandalf Oh, absolutely. Stick. Absolutely. <laughs> There's also like pictures of mannequin legs. There's, uh, 
New Balance sneakers were left behind. A Winnie the Pooh stuffed animal that's kind of sat on a bench. Really eh, kind of weird and creepy. I, I enjoy that. Sewing machines. Buddha statues aplenty. A ton of Buddha statues. Uh, family portraits. There's a counted cross stitch portrait of Jesus. And a <laughs> clock with its hands ripped off with the word life printed on the face. Because <laughs> of course there is. <laughs> I love this zine. I, I really do. I liked his first one. I like the second one. I, I hope that these redevelopment zones, um, I don't want to say keep keep happening because that's an awful thing to wish just so I can look at their pictures, but <laughs> I hope he publishes more zines one way or the other. This is a full color zine. They're shot on 35 and 120. It's a regular half size print. You can get them through him at Long Distance Runner on Instagram and the O in Long Distance Runner is actually a zero. So... <gasps> There's that. Or you can go to longdistancerunner.org. Okay, we'll be back next episode with a bunch more zines. If you'd like to support our podcast, you can head over to patreon.com slash lens. We've got bonus episodes and full-length interviews and maybe a growing number of other things. And this would include the interview with Charlie, the full interview with Charlie, which is having to set through that hour-long uh, wonderfulness. You really should uh, take that in yourselves. It was yes. a lot of fun. One of the most yes, fun interviews we've ever done. And I think so. Yeah, I, I really thought I think I met time. like another version of me. <laughs> oh, absolutely. They're absolutely like you. <laughs> So most importantly, this is a way to help us pay for hosting. Hosting is not free. Hosting the podcast and the website, not free. The equipment is not free. The supplies and, and that newspapers.com account, which comes in really helpful. None of that's free. And honestly, we're just so happy that people are willing to do this. Yes. Yeah. We very much appreciate it. I think Eric is convincing me that I need his fancy microphone so I can sound like an NPR speaker as well. <laughs> <laughs> you do need this. <laughs> yes. Okay. Thank you all so much for your support. And honestly, we're kind of bowled over by this. And <sighs> thank you. But this episode, like all episodes, we have a featured patron. Patron. A featured patron? <laughs> Who is our featured patron? These are the really fancy ones. Jaya. But we had him on a couple episodes ago, right? He's he's right now. He's really into Santa types and he's kind of picking up the torch from Aloy, I think. I think so. I don't know if it's purposely done or. No, but he reminds me a lot of. He honestly. does. Yeah. Just a, a jovial fellow who is ridiculously helpful, who doesn't mind in turn asking for advice when needed. Yes. That's Aloy. Right there. And so Jayabai mm -hmm. is kind of that. We've talked a lot about his zines and his photography a couple episodes ago. But I think right now it's it's really keep an eye on him with Sienna types. He's doing some really fun stuff with those. He really is. His in-camera stuff, we've been kind of sharing back and forth our in-camera cyanotypes. Oh, in. nice. He's definitely getting some cool stuff, especially with how the weather can be sometimes in San Francisco with the fog. He just sent me one that he uh, had marinating for eight hours, and oh, it looks pretty awesome. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Jai is amazing. He is. He does so much for the film photography community in San Francisco and yeah. people on Instagram as well. And um, the instant film community. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Of course. The instant film community. He's just amazing all around. Definitely worth a follow if you don't already. Thank you, Jayabot, so much. You 
are fucking awesome. <laughs> and you can follow him at Jayabot on Instagram. Oh, and that is about all the podcasts we've got for you today. But first, Vanya, what's the next week looking like for you? Well, I am going to work (laughs) and do some more work. I have been really bad. Have you been slacking? (laughs) I have been slacking so hard. So Uh I need to get my taxes filed and sent. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because I haven't done that yet. These are my corporate taxes. I'm freaking out, you guys. Um, this year is seriously like flying by. It is. What the hell? It's almost yeah. May. Yeah. What the heck? I'm like not ready yet. Like I'm not ready. <laughs> it's getting faster. <laughs> Ugh. So I've also been on the men because like I said before, I fucking fell on my knees <laughs> roller skating because, meh, you know? <laughs> Every morning I hear from you and you're like, oh, my knees. <laughs> Come on, Grandma, I'll get moving. I know. I think I really messed up again. So, yeah, it's – I don't know. I'm, I I really need to just surf and not do anything else. Uh, surfing is – and being in the ocean is the best place for me because when I fall, it usually doesn't hurt as bad as it does when you fall on cement. <laughs> That is true. So photographically speaking, like I said before, I made a lens board for the Century 7, and I've been playing around with that. Uh, I hope to start taking portraits with this ortholitho 5x7 film I got for, you know, a reasonable price. Yeah. It's, it was cheap. It looks fun. It's good practice. And I don't have to take a loan out or sell my soul for the cost of the film. <laughs> I've been shooting a lot of that ortholitho stuff again, and I've gone through a lot of phases with it. Mm-hmm. From I totally get this film to I don't get this film at all to I totally get this film. And now I'm back into the I don't get this film at all stage. I would love for you to try my lens. This lens is stupid. <laughs> it's so stupid. It's huge and heavy and dumb. But oh, it is. It's glorious. <laughs> yeah, I'll bring it on the road for sure. Okay. And how about you, Eric? What are you working on? Oh, I'm working on work. Uh, literally, <laughs> we are slowly starting back up at work, like real work or real <laughs> employment, I guess, after being furloughed for a year. I've been furloughed for a year now, a little bit over, I think. And this is going to take a lot of adjustment. And it's going to change a lot of things. I had some really crazy hours that I put on myself last time around. I think I've learned through the pandemic that that's not necessary. And on top of that, I've also taken taken on some large side hustly projects I needed to do from uh, the time when I was on furlough. And I'm going to keep doing those. So that needs to be done this weekend or this weekend nearabouts. So it doesn't look like I will be heading out to photograph anything. Though that's still up in the air. Maybe if I get this episode edited and I leave cookies out for Santa, (laughs) I will be able to get out and photograph something. That's how photography works. And hopefully I will continue developing and uh, maybe even making Sienna types of the eggs. Who knows? <gasps> you guys hear that? I don't know. It's I, Eric I, is making cyanotypes after the episode, like you're continuing. Yeah, I don't have to do it. It's not homework anymore. I, I, I just can do this if I want to. And we'll see if I want to. I've got a bunch of paper. I've got a bunch of coded paper. I'm ready to do it. We'll see. We'll er- see. I saw Eric open a box today with more paper to yeah, be coded so yeah he's hooked you guys it's amazing well we'll see maybe i'm just gonna take up i'm so happy 
<laughs> maybe, oh, are you? Are you going to take a watercolor? That's you what you're know. doing. Maybe Brandy's inspired me to become a water. <laughs> oh, Brandy's watercolor. Uh, yeah, you know, so can good. I, can I take a moment to shout that out? She has yes. almost no followers on her 365 account. And I think it's what? because she doesn't really advertise it at all. No, she doesn't. But go follow that. It's at that365life on Instagram. She has 222 followers, and that is 222 too few? I think so. I'm not sure how math works, but go there. She's doing a a small, like, credit card size water painting every day, almost Mm -hmm. every day. She sent me one. Really? Yes. Fucking Uh lucky. Brandy, come on. (laughs) No, I think it's awesome. No, don't don't do that. It's a horrible way to ask for something. Oh my god! No, I love. I've. I've just. I'm so excited that she's doing something like this. Yeah, they're beautiful. Oh my god, I love them. Before we go again, we need to remind you of the answer machine question for next episode. That was the one that we talked about last episode, but we preempted it for the Aloy Anderson memorial. Yes, and we did get some people that called in, and we have those ones, so yes. it's okay. Unless you want to re-record it, I guess. But yes, if you want to confuse me even more, submit a second <laughs> one. Go for it. <laughs> So what is this question? Hold on. Let me open the envelope. Oh, are we doing that? Interesting. <laughs> From its paper prison. <laughs> All right. What vehicle-related thing have you done to accommodate your photography? Yeah. Have you put on new tires for some photographic <laughs> reason? Have you... Put a built-in light meter? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Oh. Uh, <laughs> You have fuely heads and a hearse on the floor just for photography. Oh, my gosh. Camera obscura inside the car. Oh, my gosh. What have you done? Maybe storage. Maybe maybe a whole new car. Like, Denise got a whole new car just for photography. Mm-hmm. Probably not done. But, you know, just for photography. What the hell? So, tell us. What have you done? What have you done? Thank you for listening to All Through a Lens. If you'd like to contact us, we're at allthroughalens.podcast on Instagram. By email, it's allthroughalens.podcast at gmail. And we're at allthroughalens on Twitter. You can also check out our show notes on allthroughalens.com. Vanya is at Sir Martian. And Eric is at conspiracy.of.cartographers. Both of us on Instagram. And speaking of Instagram, make sure to hashtag your stuff. Hashtag allthroughalenspodcast to be featured. We also do a Spotify playlist for each episode, so check those out and see what we're listening to. Just search all through a lens. You can also find our episodes on Spotify as well as on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and wherever the hell else you find your podcasts. Subscribe to us and maybe leave us a review. The music you're hearing now is from Last Regiment of Syncopated Drummers, which you can find at lastregiment.com. And thank you all so, so much for listening. We love you. See you in a couple of weeks. Vanya? (laughs) Yes? Do you want to go out and shoot? Fuck yeah, I do. (laughs) That's creepy. No. Fuck yeah, I do. (laughs) Let's go. Bodie, you gotta go. Sorry, honey. You're snoring. Come on, let's go. Come on. I'll give you some treats.